This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. To the Sci-Fi Rewind. This is episode twelve, and this is a collaborative podcast between the Tuning into Sci-Fi TV podcast and the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog, and good evening. This is Miles P. McLaughlin, and I'm Kevin Batchelder, and we are excited tonight. We are talking Equilibrium. Yes, it's going to be a good show. I, I, I uh, it was really good to go back and watch this movie. I think, especially having gone through the original uh, well, the original the, the, the Matrix uh, mm-hmm. trilogy in some ways being that this was compared a lot to the Matrix yeah and, and there's some ways I see that and then there's some other ways to say well this is kind of a different they were ripping a lot of other stuff off not just the Matrix right I, I only yeah I don't it, it has some similarities to Matrix but I, but I think it's its own thing with its themes it explores yeah. Yeah. which we'll delve into more oh absolutely mm-hmm. any initial thoughts there Kevin yeah, I mean, this was on this watch was very fresh for me because I don't think I'd seen this since shortly after it first came out, maybe 2003. So it was very fresh going back to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just so you know, at the get go, our next rewatch, what we're going to be rewatching is Aliens with the S, Aliens, the second one, right? Correct. And this Correct. is the one that came out in 1986, mm-hmm. right? This is a part of our original uh, list of movies that people voted on. And I'm not sure where this came in at on the list. Was it number three, number four? I can check real quick. Yeah, Miles is our checker of that. But that's what we'll be doing. <laughs> we'll be doing that. And so if you want to join us on that rewatch, probably, I'm guessing, the middle of November. Does that seem right for everyone? Sure. Yeah, Yeah. probably around like the 22nd or so. Yeah, yeah. So right before Thanksgiving, we'll do mm-hmm. it. So it got nine percent of the votes. For so not very high at all. No, but, but hey, it's still classic. We are going to do it, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about this movie. So if you, a lot of you've seen it out there, we'd love to hear your thoughts about what you thought about Aliens. If you want to compare it to some of the other Aliens movies, that's fine too. So why don't we uh, just jump in to Equilibrium mm-hmm. and uh, kind of get rolling with that? Uh, any place you want to start? We typically start with some stats. Maybe uh, why don't we, before we do that, let's talk about some of our, we kind of give it cursory impression, but a little bit more in depth. What, what, what is your first impression of this movie having watched it? Had you watched Equilibrium Miles before? Yes, I had watched it a couple of years after it came out. A friend had lent it his DVD copy of it. And uh, um, I, I, when I saw it the first showing, uh, I thought I enjoyed it, but it was a bit, maybe a bit, a bit too cerebral. And I understand why it was that way, but. Um, my wife watched it with me, and, and and honestly, she didn't enjoy it that much. However, second viewing, I don't know, different set of eyes now. Just uh, uh, I seem to enjoy it more. I was able to get it, I guess. Yeah, Kevin, how about you? Yeah, like like Miles said, I mean, it's so cerebral. You're so detached. You know, you have to kind of put yourself in that mindset when you're watching it if you want to really appreciate it. Uh, but it's it's great. Another one of those, like some of the others we've done recently, where you have to put yourself in that world and make believe this is real to appreciate the characters in it. 
Right. You know, and it's not a uh, not a huge cast. We have a cast of about four four or five major characters, and really only two or three that end up being in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I found myself really enjoying this movie. Uh, movie, and uh, it, it, you're right; it was very cerebral, especially at the beginning, and the concepts they're kind of dealing with. And at parts, even though there's action, at parts, kind of slow moving as he's kind of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was kind yeah. of go ahead. No, I was going to say it's it's not like the Matrix or some of the other stuff where it's like cerebral and cool. Like you're really looking at it as, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be in that situation? This one is the one where you're like, I'm glad I'm not. So right. it's a different kind of appreciation, I think, which which makes it a nice uh, balance against uh, like some of the other movies we've talked about recently. Right. So absolutely. Well, Equilibrium for just a little bit of a background to it came out in 2002, and this movie. Uh, I tell you what, my numbers on this movie are off somehow because I read on a site, and this was a quote by the director. Uh, who was the director of this movie? Uh, oh, Kurt, Kurt Weimer, I guess his name is, uh, was a writer-director, stated the following regarding the money it made. He goes, the worst thing it had against it was that it was in profit. I guess they were making a profit due to farm pre-sales prior to the release. The studio saw no reason to risk further uh, monies on, I guess, um, advertising and product placement and risk turning a moneymaker into a money loser. Interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you, Kevin, um, I don't remember this movie being in theaters in our area. Was it? Was this movie in theaters in your area when it, when, when it was out? I have no recollection of it, Miles. Okay. Uh, I, I remember seeing it strictly DVD, and I'm my, my gut is telling me it was one of those when I saw it on a, like a DVD release list or Netflix or something was like, oh, cool. I mean, I don't remember anything about this when it was theater-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember it coming out. And I first, you know, I went to a friend's house and he had it. And we watched it on his, you know, 52-inch screen. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I kind of, you know, ended up liking it because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying that it was released on, it was released in 301 theaters. Hmm. Uh, so not a huge release. No, not at all. Uh, in fact, the release are saying that it brought in slightly over a million dollars domestically. That's what Box Office Mojo is saying. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems piddly. Uh, it's <laughs> you know. lost money. That's what Well, it, yeah, yeah, but they're saying it made money. Yeah. So we're not getting really accurate figures. I'm not getting so – I'm missing something. I don't have yeah. all the figures that they got as mm-hmm. far as pre-sales go. Uh, but it is kind of interesting that they opted not to widely release it then. Yeah, I guess they figured it maybe maybe they too, doubted its success. That's what. Yeah, maybe, maybe you had too much competition at the time. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, they tend to get cold feet sometimes when they realize the amount of money that's needed for a real, um, you know, promotion push. And I swear to goodness, um, sometimes these theaters, I mean, excuse me, these studios just decide, hey, we'll try to break even on home video and just kind of pull back on all the theater stuff and then hope to make back their money there. Mm-hmm. Right, which I believe they probably did. I mean, I think estimates were that this movie cost about twenty million to make, which is almost pretty much low budget by today's standards. Yeah, oh they, yeah, well, they, they not a lot of. I mean, there were some special effects in this movie, mm-hmm. but all the kicks and all the uh, jumps and stuff were not done with wires. They did those with trampolines and other stuff they were using to kind of make it look like almost Matrix like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no real those long pauses or flying or whatever so probably didn't have to use a lot of cgi in this movie i would suspect 
Let's talk about the opening of this movie. When we're first, inter- first introduced into this world where we have the Gramatron, the Gramatron cleric that's kind of mm-hmm. running everything, uh, or at least kind of the soldiers for this. Libria. I congratulate you. At last, peace reigns in the heart of man. At last, war is but a word whose meaning fades from our understanding. At last, we are whole. Its symptom is anger. Its symptom is rage. Its symptom is war. The disease is human emotion. But Libria, I congratulate you, for there is a cure for this disease. At the cost of the dizzying highs of human emotion, we have suppressed its abysmal lows. And you, as a society, have embraced this cure. Ephrosium. Now we are at peace with ourselves. And humankind is one. War is gone. Hate and memory. We are our own conscience now. And it is this conscience that guides us to rate EC10 for emotional content. All those things that might tempt us to feel again. And destroy them. Librians, you have won. Against all odds and your own natures. You have survived. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, the, the, uh, the whole premise. I mean, I'm going to use a Star Trek reference. With with what what the Vulcans were able to achieve with logic, humans were able to achieve with Prozac. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Miles. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely fit. With you know, with, with with mixed results, you know, we'll say. But uh, um, but you know, definitely they're exploring. It had definitely a 1984-ish Orwellian feel to it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought of, actually, when I first saw the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, and you get that from the, the whole uh, the whole telescreens. I guess they were in 1984, but the whole screens that were kind of everywhere, just kind of delivering the government propaganda the whole yeah. the whole time. Very much Orwell. Mm-hmm. You know, 1984 uh, feel of it. Um, and the idea of enforcing it that if anyone showed emotion was kind of like creating thought crime. Yeah, and, and, and even I mean, to I mean, they go to extremes to suppress our basest uh, instincts, um, as far as anger and malice and those things that will cause war. Uh, they'll go so far as to express, the, you know, creativity. I mean, uh, I mean, you can't enjoy music, you can't enjoy art, you can't enjoy literature. It's just those things have to be, you know, it go to those far extremes. To 
to deal with it. Part of me wants to say that so they eradicate feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And they do this on the premise that we just don't want to be at war and we don't want to risk destroying ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you, at one part, you really want to fault them for it. You really want to say, what? You're, you're stifling creativity. You're stifling all this stuff. At the same time, you also want to look at it and say, they're getting rid of war and killing. Right. It's, 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 a, it's a trade-off. It's a huge, you know... It, it, but is there is you know is the pay the question it, becomes it, in the movie is the payoff worth it is the payoff worth it yeah I mean I, do you have to sell out your soul so you don't you know kill each other yeah Kevin thoughts well it's it's pretty extreme but I gotta say that the concept uh, while I wouldn't want to be a part of it certainly logically makes a lot of sense uh, you know that's the thing we all sometimes lose track of at, at for our ages, we haven't been involved in a world war. We haven't seen some of that carnage that had happened before. And the idea of having another one occur and feeling that it's possible to, quote, do it all again is going to create a situation where people are going to be willing to go to some crazy extremes. So, I mean, I can see it. I can really, in a, in a funny sense, I can almost see this being believable. This is not all that far-fetched from what happened in the wake of 9-11 for us. I mean, you see... You know, people being willing to give up certain rights mm-hmm. and certain freedoms to make ourselves safer, all because of fear that this could happen again. And it's really not that far fetched as far as what people do. It makes me think of the that one scene that's probably my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in the third movie, Revenge of the Sith, in Star Wars, where. You know, Princess Amidala saying, you know, how does democracy die with thunderous applause? In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society. This is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. Mm. You know, people just willingly just giving up their freedom in in light of a safer and secure, you know, society and future. What uh-huh. screams out at me, though, is Ben Franklin. I think it's, it's quote quotes of Ben Franklin. I could be wrong, so I'll invite correction at this point. Uh, some so of the fact that uh, those who trade uh, freedom for security deserve neither. <laughs> Um, and uh, that's what these, you know, and I, I understand what Kevin is saying. I mean, if, if you're in that generation um, that has just survived a devastating world war, you know, um, we, we, you know, you are, yes, you are more prone likely to give up and give up those, those things to avoid it happening again because of uh, the horror you just saw and experienced just before. So we're justifying the fact that they that they actually did this it makes I, sense. I don't want to say I'm justifying it. I want to. I, I can understand. I don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't. You know, and like Kevin's, I, I I wouldn't want to live in that world. And you know, I can understand why they did it. Um, you know, I don't know if I maybe, ju- but but I, want, I don't know if I want to say I, I justify. We're, we're well, yeah. I guess in a sense, we are kind of. We are justifying the, the, the society's actions, uh, right. doing what they're doing. Which is ironic, you know, because 
they they do it to eliminate all the bloodshed, but in the wake of it, they commit the bloodshed. Well, yeah, because I mean, there, there there are people that don't are not signing on to this, and so the only way to suppress this is to kill those that would uh, you know defy father, you know. Right, right. Throughout, you know, throughout the, and, and and you have the, the enforcers, which interesting, you know, you know, they are trained in a monastery. I mean, it's all philosophical. It's not really religious, but there are kind of religious overtones. Uh, the enforcers are called clerics. I mean, right. it's uh, interesting, interesting choice of words. Uh, um, and and you, you you picked up on some of the religious overtones, which were, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, there there are the, the clerics, and uh, what was it? The uh, tet- what were they called? The tetra, the tetragrammaton. Yeah, they. Which is uh, I looked it up. Tetragrammaton. The translation of that word is is, is a word with four letters. Um, and it's actually the word used in Judaism as a reference to the name of God, Yahweh. Right. So kind of interesting little reference if you're talking about the spiritual end of it. And in fact, they ha- their leader is Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're obviously oh. going. They're obviously going for some illusion there. And so there's. We were, I guess we were commenting on the fact that what we have here is a council that, out of the welfare for humanity, you, you know, goes to crush feeling. Uh, because feeling is this thing that has caused all this war um, in order to keep us safe. Um, and then, it, you know, in the name of this, they end up killing, you know, tons of people who choose not to. So it's actually an eerie par- parallel if you think about it from another angle that, you know, this is kind of what, you know, the church has done in some ways. You know, in an eerie, in an eerie sense. People that don't agree, they just kind of... In history, yeah. The, the extremists, the extremists, yeah. yeah they, Oh, yes. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Certainly like, going back to, you know, older uh, history, too, and there was a lot more of that uh, going on. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah I, mean, I hadn't I, seen that. Yeah, well, I, I'm not certain. I didn't either until we were just talking about it here, but there certainly, there certainly is that parallel. And if we're going to talk about some of the religious significance of the names and what it's done, it's, you know... I wonder if they use the religious overtones as a way to get the masses to kind of... Uh, Almost have a religious devotion to the state, if you will, to kind of you know, right? Well, yeah. Anytime you're going to need that much commitment and belief, that's that's always in human history. What it comes back to is you need something to be that, uh, you know, the leader, follower. Uh, I don't want to say you know whether it's religion, cult, or whatever. You've got to have something beyond just a a belief in a system. You've got to have that total emotional commitment. Otherwise, you are going to question it, which, as we saw, is what leads to the downfall of the system. Right, right. So, you know... You don't take your meds for the day. But in this case, yeah. you, in, in this case, you don't have an emotional commitment. You just have a commitment without emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, very true, yes. 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 <laughs> in, in, in this case. Uh, interesting, I was doing a little bit of research on this, this drug, Prosium, was named, uh, originally named uh, Librium, after the city, Right. Um, they're the people of Libria, as it was called, or Libria, or however mm-hmm. they did, um, <laughs> which is referred to. However, Librium actually turned out to be a registered trademark name for an anti-anxiety drug. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they changed it to Prozium, a sly combination of Prozac and Valium. Yeah. No, I did get a kick. I thought instantly of Prozac as soon as I heard the name. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. it fits very well. Yeah. So maybe this is really a treatise on the drug Prozac and ADHD. You know, we should not be curving people that have ADHD because of the side effects of it. It limits their emotion. We need to let them release that emotion and be who they are. <laughs> you, know, you know what I got a kick out of is when we 
start to talk about some of these movies, we end up on some of the weirdest tangents, guys. I got to tell you, this you know, <laughs> we are we are reading things into things that may or may not have been there. But that's part of the fun. Is sometimes there's a heck of a lot more than what's on the surface. <laughs> well, yeah, and and you got to say, you, you got to be honest that the writers aren't shit. The writers, you know, have to have some idea these references exist, right? Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't be writing them in, and uh, and maybe they don't mean them to intone as a whole in the movie as kind of sometimes the way we take them, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's been part of the fun. I, I've done a couple of interviews with some writers, uh, believe it or not, writers on the side of doing the sci-fi original movies. And I know folks like to bag on them because they're not obviously the biggest or the most plot-driven things in the world. But you, you certainly hear in talking to them how much thought sometimes goes into these minute details. It, it, is, it is like that just epiphany of, of thinking about the perfect name for a character or an anagram or a, an ulterior understanding of what it is. Because uh, if you think about it, this is what these folks do. Words, you know, that's their uh, canvas, and that's what they like to do. So, yeah, I'm sure some of these things, there was a lot of thought given to how to name them, and some folks pick up on them, and sometimes it just goes right over our heads. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, did anyone think, this is kind of a more of a setting thing, you know, the whole setting of the cityscape and, you know, kind of this post-apocalyptic feel, but not everything. I mean, you get to the Temple of the Cleric, it's very modern, very kind of, what, Art Deco? Very ornate, yes. yeah. Uh, which you know was a contradiction in a place where you don't want feeling. I saw yeah. other contradictions in this movie too. Um, when they condemn somebody, well, here, here, here's another parallel between uh, what this movie and we want to say, you know, what happened during the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, they burned heretics, they burned witches. I mean, uh, their form of execution is, uh, you know. Um, combustion. True, very true. But they very put them true. in this red outfit. It's just like everybody's in these, you know, blacks and grays, and the the uh, condemned is put in some kind of red outfit. Just yeah, to, scarlet. Like yeah, scarlet letter. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Kevin, you and were I was going to say. Something. Well, yeah, just talking about what you were just hitting on that the the buildings very much uh, again it. Parallels, at least in my eyes, churches. This whole idea of a, a huge ceiling, lots of open space, uh, in order to make the person feel very tiny compared to the uh, <laughs> the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I, I think that's very, uh, very obviously a way to make it feel. You don't want to have a comfortable building where you feel, and again, they don't feel anything. So I, you know, follow right. me there. But that whole concept of to get you to to want to feel warm or comfortable, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's form, function, and just uh, appeasing the father type thing. Yeah. So what we're really saying is this movie is really a treatise against organized religion. That's what we're really – that's what we're coming down here at this point. We are going to get emails, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> we will. Well, you know what? And I'm going to tell you, honestly, I watched this movie, and that did not occur to us that we're having this conversation. So it's not – for me – this idea of feeling, even though that's 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 there, that's not the thing that hit me when I watched it the first time, the second time. It's only hitting me now as we're having this discussion. Mm-hmm. But that's usually a sign of a good movie is yes. when you do go back for rewatches for whatever reason, you are able to see other things. Whether they're there or not sometimes isn't important. It's the fact that they somehow created an environment that allowed you to see something else. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to give them credit that way. It's not yeah. like you've seen it and that's all they'll ever be of it. Yeah. And I think the writers enjoy – Maybe they didn't intend some, you know, the viewer to 
get that out of it or read that into it, but I think they enjoy hearing what viewers think of, you know. And I wouldn't say that this is a spiritual movie. Like, this didn't, there, there's not a lot of spiritual, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, echoes of that. Right. But it's not like they're worshiping a deity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of the idea of being in a not feeling society that, if anything, they worship. Right. Oh, I think so to me. It's the nonconformist. It's yeah. still the idea of the most important thing. It's still the individual rather than the state or the group right. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Did anyone think and I, did anyone think fringe when they saw the dirigibles flying around? Oh, the, oh, 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 oh you mean the, the, the blimps? Yeah, the blimps. Yeah, it, was the, I saw, it reminded me of a little fringe. Oh, yeah, I was like, hey, you know, there's just a little bit fringe. In fact, the whole, the whole city in a way reminds you a little bit of the parallel universe, the alt universe mm-hmm. a little bit. I, that's probably stretching it because Fringe came way after. But maybe I should say that you know this reminds me or Fringe reminds me of that. But but yeah. I, you know one of my favorite things at the very early on in the movie. One of the comments I made is I just love that we have Boromir and Batman all in the same movie. <laughs> it is so hard not to see them as that. Isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. You know, here you have Christian Bale walking in, and what is it, Sean Bean? Is that his guy's yeah. name? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you have him there, and you know, Sean Bean's the same type of you know, he's his voice, and then Christian Bale's voice is very, very distinguished. And you see them oh, before both. Yeah, yes. it's 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 very <laughs> much that very much that way. And I was like, I was like it's, this is awesome. This this makes this movie. Let me ask: Isn't Christian Bale British, or is he American? I thought he was British, yeah. but but he does an American accent in um in in this movie. I, I, for some reason, I'm thinking he's British. Yeah, yeah right. I do not know. That would be a who can get to IMD fastest. I'm there. You know, IMDb. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he is. But uh, yeah, he no, is I, born in Wales. So okay, not too far off. Mm-hmm. He's Welsh. So the Welsh will take a no. the, the Welsh. But he, take it was also the fact that you said he's British. I mean, I but. totally. But I, but I didn't mistake him for American. <laughs> what were you going to say, Kevin? I'm sorry, I was talking over you. <laughs> That's okay. I was just going to say, but he. he certainly fit the role perfectly. There was no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, his acting style very much made you think he had had every emotion sucked right out of his body. I mean, it didn't... That, that's a tough thing to play, I think. And, and I think he did it very well. And the subtle release of that, the change in him that he has to kind of control what emotion he gives out and when, very difficult. You oh, know, I think that would be just about next to impossible. Think about that. Try to, try to go through your day and, and be... You know, completely unemotional. I mean, I remember uh, jumping sci-fi franchises. Uh, a couple of interviews with with Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about when he first did the Terminator and how difficult it was to learn to be. You know, his his movements had to be very uh, machine-like, and he had to make sure facially he didn't inadvertently start to smile. And I mean, for an actor, that's got to be quite the challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does. Uh, you know, he does in his role, at least early on, remind you very much of Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. Just that stoicness and the lack. And this is, I think, partly Keanu's fault, the way he's been faulted in the past as far as not being a very dynamic actor as mm-hmm. far as facially and stuff. And you really you really see some parallels. Not only that, but they dress Christian Bale in this Neo-like outfit. You know, almost as it's it's not, but the cleric's cloak is very matrix esque in some oh, yeah. ways. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and so, in that in that in that place, I kind of you know there were some parallels for me there. Uh, but I did have a question I wanted to pose to you guys. 
would have the matrix been improved with Christian Bale? Not necessarily. I don't. I, I I'm just, so used no, to seeing Kiana in it. Yeah. So don't get me well, wrong. Was, yeah, we're still used <laughs> to seeing it, but I also think part of what makes the Matrix thing work is a bit is is Keanu's age. I mean, he's younger. Maybe Christian Bale many years back would have been the same. But I I, I bought the fact that he in his youth that whole idea of believing, um, doubting yourself, and so forth. That uh, maybe Christian Bale, but it would have had to have been a much younger Christian Bale. Hmm. Yeah, and, I don't know. Go ahead, Miles. Well. We're talking about two totally different actors. What what the Matrix had going for it was also the other, you know, you know, the other actors, and it was, you know, it, I mean, yes, he, Keanu Reeves was a star, but you had big name, you, you know, you had um, um, uh, the guy who played Morpheus, I, oh, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, fantastic actor. Um, was it Amy Moss who played, yeah. uh, you know, Trinity? Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you had, you had some other really good actors in that yeah. movie. It was, a, it was a strong ensemble effort. And uh, By the way, side note, Kiana's older by 10 years. Okay. So uh, he just ate- Christian Bale is, was born in 74. He's younger than you. And Keanu Reeves was born in 64. Mm-hmm. So. But they just, maybe just, maybe just ages differently. But. Well, Keanu's doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, um, what did you think? The whole symbol they have very much swastika. Like, I don't know if that hit anyone either. The symbol that they use for the tetra grammatron or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That, that symbol is very. You see it everywhere, and it's very much that symbol. In fact, they say that if you look closely and stop the movie, you can see that symbol in the flashes of the gunfire. Huh. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't. I just read that somewhere. I didn't actually slow it down to view it. But, but if you want, you know, you know, hundreds of people now are going to go back and say, "Oh, let me go see if I can see that." But no. Well, that, the, yeah, there's definitely. I mean, the symbol did have kind of swastika overtones. Yeah. 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 I I certainly I didn't see a direct connection like you mentioned, Scott. But I mean, I it it obviously probably in the in the subconscious would remind you of that uh, a very you know authoritarian type thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. At one point early in the movie, this is like the first 15 minutes of the movie, I wondered if the movie was maybe trying a bit too hard. And I don't know why I put this comment down, except that maybe I felt like it was um, – it was just I felt like it was drawing on so many other pieces. You, you know, it's drawing on Orwell, drawing on 1984, drawing on – there's obviously Matrix-esque tones. Uh, I don't know. And so I wondered maybe if it was trying a bit too hard – um, I like this movie. Don't get me wrong, but that was just my comment earlier on in the movie in my notes. I just have it. I don't know any thoughts on that. I didn't. I didn't feel anything along those lines myself. I, All right, I'm you know, I was. I was buying it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm on Prozac, whatever it is. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> but but I did get a, a, a real kick out of the uh, which was good because it got me interested later on when we got more details the fairly early scene when Christian Bale goes into that dark room and pauses for several seconds and then oh, yeah. you know makes makes like the whatever the hell I don't even know what you'd call it uh, you know taking everybody out with precise shots and everything else that was quite the visual Thank <laughs> you.
Oh, yeah. It was. And you hear him talking. He's like, don't talk. Is he there? You know, that, that whole scene is just an incredible yeah. scene visually. Yeah. Or get maybe lack of visual because there's just no light at all for mm-hmm. a while. You're sitting in darkness. Uh, I had to imagine what that would have been like to see that scene alone to see in the theater. Everything just yes, dark because it was dark for so long. They they really yeah in a theater experience that probably would have been you know even more uh, more of an impact than watching it at home. Yeah. Did you watch it in surround sound? Yes. And so how did the how did the gunfire sound in surround sound? Very very good. I gotta say. <laughs> okay. Really really did. You were you were hearing the pings and the little sounds. Because uh, I I didn't have a Blu-ray copy. It was just a regular DVD. But even so, on DVD, it was sounding you know yeah. very good. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm an English teacher. For those of you that know me by uh, day, and so that whole the whole when Sean Bean gets killed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his character I forget his character's name, but when he gets killed there in the church, nonetheless, talk about religious you know icon you know icon stuff. He's reading he's reading William Butler Yeats and the poem. You know, published this poem, you know, he wishes for the cloths of heaven, you know, published in that collection he's holding in The Wind Among the Reeds. Uh, What a great poem.
It's a beautiful poem. Oh yeah, very romantic. Kind of has that romantic feel to it, and I just loved it. So, and then, then he, of course, blasts them right through the book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes, he does end up, you know, killing him. But um, Sean Bain's character Partridge—you could tell he's 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 about ready to make his move too, unless uh, you know. Right. So right. it's just that uh, uh, Christian Bale's character is a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's Batman after all. <laughs> all right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now you're the one hung up on that one. I get let that one go. <laughs> I, I do. You know. Well. You know. And again, I'm 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 hung up a little bit. Yeah, we, they build this movie. I don't know. Did you see the um, the actual cover of the DVD or the the movie poster of 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 this? Move, um, yes, I think I did. Yes. Yeah, they're they're advertising. If I let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, there was one cover for it that said uh, that made reference, direct reference to the Matrix. I don't know if you saw that cover or not. Oh no, I didn't see that. I don't think. Yeah, uh, the the one the one movie cover I have here isn't showing it, uh, but there was this one isn't the one that I'm looking at right now, but there was one cover that did show that made mentors to the matrix. And anyways, all that to say is, you know, we do have a character here that is kind of waking up kind of in the, in a meta, in a, maybe a psychological sense where, you know, Neo obviously wakes up in a very physical sense, mm-hmm. but you get, you get Christian Bale's characters kind of waking up to this idea that, wait a minute, um, you know, feeling isn't bad. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to live without feeling? And it all, it all starts accidentally where his yeah. one dose of medication, you know. Skip a dose of, ac- of medicine and see what it does. It breaks and he never replaces it and decides, you know, let it go. Um, so. We'll but how, speaking, speaking of the broken medicine, though, how creepy was his kid? Oh, yeah. Oh. And, then you, <laughs> and, then, and then the twist in it at the end was kid's been off the medicine for a while yeah yeah that was that was a nice touch but the kid is like um this is a this is a scary future you know i mean you know not 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 only is it's not my kid (laughs) i mean you gotta be careful everybody ratting you out i mean even your own children yeah. See, I believe that that feels like a throwback to 1984 because they were these kids were turning in their parents because of thought crime, mm-hmm. and it felt very much 1984 at that point because mm. you couldn't trust your kids. You had to watch what you see around the kids because the kids were being trained to you know turn on on the parents if they committed this thought crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. no, I yeah, I just aside from the story parallels, just the actor as the child because I, I mean that that literally kicked me back in my chair, knocked me over with a feather. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't want it. Like you said, I don't want to be anywhere near him. I don't want him involved in my conversations at all. Yeah. I forget who the kid was. I wonder if I don't. Oh, it's Robbie Preston. Matthew Harbour is the actor's name. He played him. And he was born in 1990, so he's a young'un. He's now what, over 20 now. but mm-hmm. uh, He's been in some stuff. The Velveteen Rabbit. I'm not there. A Silent Night. Nothing real big. Nothing real big. Right. I think it's Equilibrium may have been the biggest movie he had. But but anyways, yeah, you know, I, I love that that whole scene there. In fact, this whole idea of him kind of becoming aware uh, aware of feeling, that one conversation he has with um, Mary, I believe her name is. Let me ask you something. 
Why are you alive? I'm alive. I live to safeguard the continuity of this great society, to serve Libya. It's circular. You exist to continue your existence. What's the point? What's the point of your existence? To feel. Because you've never done it, you can never know it. But it's as vital as breath. And without it, without love, without anger, Without sorrow, breath is just a clock ticking. That's a great quote. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's the thought-provoking kind of stuff. But no, I mean the thing that I love about that though is very much if we take the emotion out again, try to put ourselves in the story, and and at that point when she's doing this, the that phrasing what you just read is the way to try to get at someone. Usually people do, you know, big emotional speeches or try to hit you, you know, in the heart with something to get you to change your mind, realizing that everybody at this point uh, that she's up against doesn't have any emotions. She's she's really trying to just barely get that crack in your mind to doubt, quote, the state, you know? And that's well, it's well said, I thought. The phrasing there really yeah. is, is something you'd have to use in a non-emotional environment. Right. Yeah. That... <laughs> Yeah, and it was. Uh, I thought that was that was a real good scene. Her character really sad to see her die, but she almost has to die to move the story oh, yeah. forward. That's and, exactly it, and to open him up more to uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, commit him to you know this quest of his. I love the whole puppy scene, especially you know when they when he has it in the trunk and they go to open the trunk and he just takes them all out and he just kind of takes them all out. Very Matrix. Again, like Mm -hmm. the whole fight sequence and how quick it is. Captain, I'm asking you one last time. Don't do this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his training just kind of kicks in. That was a yeah. hard scene, too, you know, them killing the dogs. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, that's happened before. That was pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that, that, that is definitely when I had the Matrix parallels was watching him in that scene take out all those guards. I mean, he couldn't help but see the same thing. Well, and again, at the end, when he takes, when he kind of, you know, eliminates the 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 father, uh, not the real father, but the one that's kind of taken father's place. Yeah, that that whole scene again, very Matrix like. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that even the music kind of parallels it. It kind of ups in that same sort of you know tempo, that almost Moby lobby scene type of you know feel in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the music kind of picks up. Uh, and I like the movie. You know, Claus. I believe Claus uh, Bedelt. I think is the guy's name that wrote it. 
um, it kind of parodies the Matrix sometimes. And this is the same guy that did music for Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, so, wow! At least one of them. So, so. a bit of a departure. Well, it's okay. before Pirates. Okay. So, but yeah. well, it just shows how versatile this guy is. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. And if you look yeah. at his, I mean, if you look at his reel, it's tons. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say, Kevin? I was going to say the other movie that I had a bit of a parallel to in that final scene you're talking about, the showdown, was uh, the Mila Jovovich one, the Resident Evil. Oh, oh not, yes. No, 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 not Resident Evil. Um, oh, the other one where she had the sword. Uh, Kill Bill? Ultraviolet? No, oh, Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Yeah. By the way, one of the choreographers did the choreographer choreography for Ultraviolet after this movie. I mean, this oh, Ultraviolet came okay. out after. Right. Yeah. The, the skills with the sword and everything. But to me, that was very reminiscent of her in that movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Boy, when that guy, when that guy's face slides off. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to remember what happened. I was like, someone's face like slides off, and there and it happened in that scene. I was like, ah. Well, you see his eyes move for just a second, and then. And- you know, that then falls down. Totally impossible, but it works for this scene. It's a good scene. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. I, I, I definitely, I just said, my, my comment is that the shootout scene near the end was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me see. Uh, what are the other, oh, we had the guy, we had the blind guy from Contact in here. I didn't see Contact. You never saw Contact? You no. see Contact, Kevin? Yeah, but I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, I, ha- I have his name down here. Let me see if I can find what I did with his name. Yeah, his name yeah. is William uh, Fitchner. Okay, is he's done tons of stuff. But I, for some reason, one of the first major movies I saw him in was Contact with Jodie Foster, and uh, and you know what Michael McConaughey, I guess it was in that, and and so I saw him in that. And so every other movie kind of you know leaps back to the first movie you see him in, right? <laughs> But he's here as the guy that's um, – he's the guy that's the, his contact to the underground. Okay. That's the character uh-huh. that we're talking about. And he's done tons of other stuff. Yeah. That, oh, that yeah. Guy, he's uh, – He was in – He was he was in Ultraviolet too. Yes, he was in Ultraviolet. Hey, they just moved the entire cast over to Ultraviolet. <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah, this guy has done – Tons oh, he's of done a ton. He was in the last stuff. Batman movie. He, he was in very briefly. He was. He was. He tries to take out the Joker with a shotgun. And um, was unsuccessful. He was in Prison Break. TV um, series. Yep. Ultraviolet, like you said. Mr. and Mrs. Smith as the marriage counselor voice. Um, uh, Blades of Glory. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pearl Harbor. Perfect Storm. There's a lot. It said, yeah. it said. It said. Oh, he's he's Armageddon. He's an Armageddon. So he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been around for. A That's while. right. He was he was the 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 real astronaut in Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, very very, very cool. Uh, let me see what else do I have in my show notes here to talk about. Uh, what? So we talked obviously a lot about Christian Bale's character. What do you think of the rest of the acting? So the other cast. We talked about Sean Bean a little bit. Uh, what about what about Tay Diggs, the guy that played Brant, the African American counterpart to Christian Bale, the cleric? I, I thought he did a good job. Um, he, it was a you know interesting relationship the two had. I mean, uh, this guy was an up and comer, but he was like you know, like what he said, you know, being with you will be a career advancement for me, and yeah, and uh, you know, ultimately, it would have been if if things would have gone his way, yeah. but. Um, but no, uh, he, no, he was good. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought it, it fit perfectly at that point in the story because by that point, it's about the time you're starting to kind of like root for Christian Bale's character, right? 
to be able to do it. And then this guy comes in as a foil and you're like, oh, he's going to get tripped up because he's real good at, you know, getting his point across about using right. uh, Christian Bale's character as his stepping stone to success. Right. In fact, you almost think that Christian Bale thwarted him there in that one office scene where they kind of take the take uh, Brant away, they haul him away, and then you find he's been double-crossed. Ha mm-hmm. <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that scene where they have him on the lie detector when he's going to visit Fowler, and suddenly, suddenly the lie detector stops moving, yeah. and the guy goes, "Oh crap!" and it's like, "Oh yeah. shit!" It's like, a- <laughs> <laughs> Brandt's job was simple: to make you feel like you'd won, to make you feel safe. For years. I tried to infiltrate an agent into the underground until it hit me in order to pass undetected into their midst, in order to be trusted by them. My provocateur would have to think like them and would have to feel like them. But where to find such a man? A man with the capacity to feel who didn't yet know it. We've never met. No. Don't look so surprised, Preston. Why should father be more real than any other political puppet? The real father died years ago. The council simply elected me to pursue its paternal tradition. And you, Preston. The supposed savior of the resistance, and now it's destroyer. And along with them, you've given me yourself. Come. Good. Entirely without incident. No. Oh. Shit. What do you think? Yeah, oh, one of my favorite cool. scenes. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is where he they're at a raid, and he sees a bunch of these guys. Well, first he knows that one guy has a gun point in his head, and so he obviously blocks and disarms the guy. But then he says, you know, he tries to save them, and then he helps them off, but. They end up getting captured again, and um, you know, there's a, there's a, it's nonverbal, but there's definitely communication between him and the one guy who's who's, who's in the resistance. Like, you know, don't try to save us at this point; save yourself or whatever. Mm. And uh, oh yeah, is that the one scene where Tay Diggs' character says, you know, if your weapon is low, you know, he gives him his gun. Is that when he makes the switch? Right. Yes. Okay. That's where yes. he switches the gun at that point. Okay, but just the, I like this the scene between. Bale and, and, and these resistance guys and just, you know, the one guy knows his number's up, but it's like, you know, if the guy recognizes Bale's character might be the only hope for the resistance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that is some beautiful uh, uh, nonverbal acting, as you said, Miles. The the eyebrow movement, the nod, subtle nod of the head, the look in the eye, mm-hmm. you know, they get the points back and forth between them. Yeah. I thought that was very powerful. Yeah. 
Well, my, I think my top actor, I mean, other than Christian Bale, which did an incredible job, is the kid, is his son. His son just did an excellent job. Yeah, the, the, the little boy did a good job. Yeah, so I'm all, all for That's my vote. He is the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> or the MBA, the most valuable actor in this movie. But no, I don't know. It was it was good. It was definitely uh, well done. Any any other comments before we get into a little bit of trivia here I have for you guys? No, it was just, it was nice to revisit it. It was still fresh many years later. Uh, worked for me. I loved the little plot twists, as you said. Yeah. You know, the, near the end especially. And uh, you know, this is kind of the fun sci-fi that that we appreciate the ability to kind of have something where you get to think a little bit about it, but you still have a lot of cool stuff that happens to make it uh, visually interesting too. They they balance those good. Yeah, I was going to say this is a movie that if you haven't seen Equilibrium, for those of you listening and you're listening to this, uh, if you haven't seen Equilibrium, this is a movie you sit down with some friends, watch it, and then you talk about it. Right. Because it's not just – it's not a pop, it's a popcorn movie in some way, but in a lot of ways it's really challenging. You, you mean heard our discussion tonight. We're going on all sorts of rabbit trails is what this can mean. We are really picking this movie apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In well, a good way. Yeah. So, so, so for some trivia uh, – can either of you identify the cars that were driven by the Grammaton clerics? And I'll take anything. I'll take a brand. Cadillac? They're definitely Cadillac. Good. Yeah. They just and had that, that audacious look. They didn't look like they were late model. I mean, they, or, well, this was in 2002, but look, they didn't do anything to make these cars look futuristic. No. They looked very you know, utilitarian. Can you guess the brand of Cadillac? Oh, I, I, I don't. You don't know, you don't know your Cadillacs. I don't know my Cadillacs. So they're Cadillac Seville's, um, painted with totally white. Uh, it is. Uh, do you know the music that Preston listens to on the Victrola? Can you identify the classical piece? Do you know your classical music, Miles? Is it is it a Mozart piece? It's not Mozart. Oh. Or I should say uh, Mozart for those listeners who. We're talking about me on my Facebook page. But well, if it's, if it's not Mozart, then I'm going to guess it's Beethoven. It is Beethoven. It's Beethoven's ninth, first movement, technically. Those, those are my two go-to guesses for classic. That's yeah. all I got. So do either of you know the breed of dog that he picks up? Oh, um, I have no idea. Oh, uh, I'm going to kick myself when you tell me because it's <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. Starts with a B, Kevin. Starts with a B. Then it's not what I was thinking of, so I'm not going to kick myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Burmese mountain dog. Oh, no. I would have never guessed it. Uh, no. Apparently, the noise it makes, the barks, whines, and yelps weren't actually made by the dog at all, but by an actor who specializes in dog impersonations. Oh, I got to meet that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You need that guy on one of your shows, and all he has to do is talk like a dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's another trivia. How many actresses played Preston's wife? Well, I looked at the show notes earlier, so I'm not you gonna can't answer. I'm not going to answer this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we had one in the film. We had at least one photo. I'm going to guess three. No, it was actually two. If you'd have stuck with the two, and the, oh, okay. the reason the reason behind it is the the, the the condemnation archive footage was filmed first and featured Alexia Summer. However, when it came time to film the scene where she was arrested, she could not be found, and so they put Maria Paya Calzone, I guess it is, or Calzone has ta- had her take had to take her place. As a result, there's two separate credits. Summer's credited as uh, Viviana Preston, while Maria Pia Calzone was uh, credited as Preston's wife. <laughs> so, mm. even though they're the same character, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see if I have any other uh, trivia here yet. Oh, <clears throat> give me an approximate guess as to how many characters John Preston kills. Oh, gosh, it must have set a record as far as body count. I was just thinking, you know, how many how many cops he was going through. I will tell you that he hurt, He holds the record, even now, as of 2009, he held the record for third place record and number of most deaths in a movie caused by one character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyone, you want to take, take a guess? I don't even, I can't even guess. I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Over 100? It was over 100. 118 characters he killed in the movie, which makes him responsible for exactly half of the total 236 deaths that were shown. Oh, man. <laughs> so if you, if, you, if you like movie with a lot of uh, body count, this is your movie. <laughs> so somebody had to, you know, take note of every person he shot. Yeah. I know. Yeah, who's in charge of that continuity? I want you to count dead people. <laughs> yeah. I see dead people. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. Well, that's it for trivia. Should we head into some listener feedback? Sure. Sure. Let's do it. This is from Colin in England. Do you want to read the smiles? Sure. Hello to the Three Musketeers. Well, I just got through uh, watching Equilibrium (laughs) again. He likes calling it that. The last time he called it that, too. (laughs) That's all right. I've seen this film before, but I wanted to uh, refresh my memory. This is one of the film, one of them films that you either love or hate. Me, I liked it. It had shades of three movies for me that stand out. The Matrix, 1984, and Fahrenheit 451. I personally think they made a mistake with the way this was marketed. They went way too much in portraying it as a Matrix-style movie and tried to jump on the coattails of the film. The fact that it uh, did badly at the box office reflects this, but did develop a cult following, which is uh, why, like Blade Runner and Riddick, it still resonates today. I don't think this vein will carry on... Uh, so the advent of streaming will mean a drop in revenue from DVD sales and less cult developments. But to the film, Christian Bale is the savior of the movie. He basically acts everyone else off the screen. He perfectly shows that non-emotional side of his character, then continues to shine as he undertakes his slow burn to emotional freedom and, and freedom for fighter. I do think that in certain sections, they copied a bit too much from other films. The long back trench coats a la Neo, the all-seeing and constant TV as in 84, and the stereotypical neo-fascist military police dressed in black combat riot gear. The future city was convincing enough, although some of the outside scenes clearly showed the world of uh, 2002. Another flaw in the story for me was when uh, Bale's direct boss, he displayed open ambition, which is in emotion and zeal. I was watching his performance as he said, I'm going to make my career on you, whilst thinking to myself, you should not be having them thoughts. He also displayed contempt. The quasi-weapon-based martial art was something new, giving a whole new angle to the gun battles. This film must have had a seriously high body count. Some of it was a bit, well, silly. But never detracted from the fun and entertainment of the battle scenes, even when he threw the clips in the middle of the floor near the end. I never thought, why did someone just kick them away or pick them up till after? I also like the way he, he sliced the, his boss in half, slowly walking away as, as his head slid off. That was cool. Although the ending was kind of predictable, you knew he was going to free them. You could say that about so many films. It never detracts from the enjoyment of the film. I enjoyed it. I know that some hate it, but take it for what it is, a B-action film. It was enjoyable enough. God knows I have seen worse. So... For me, uh, a 6.5 out of 10. Live long on podcast, Colin. Thank you, Miles, for reading that. Thanks, Colin, for writing in and giving us your gracious thoughts and great thoughts about this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any points uh, either of you guys want to comment on? 
I hadn't thought about the uh, Fahrenheit 451. That's that's a good one, actually. Now that I'm thinking back on it, uh, it's it's always it's interesting. Now when we're doing these, I look forward to hearing Colin's feedback to see how many of the points we might have brought up, since he tends to have a real good handle on it too. But uh, yeah, Fahrenheit 451. That's a good one to compare it to. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, the movie is that movie's even worse than this movie. So, oh, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying. But, yeah, but yeah, certainly the the whole burning of art, burning of books, is yeah. very much that, and them torching it is very Fahrenheit 451. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he made the comment I thought was interesting. The fact that it did badly at the box office flexes, but it did develop a cult following, which is why, like Blade Runner, Riddick is still resonance today. But he says this, I don't think this vein will carry on, though. The advent of streaming will mean a drop in revenue from DVD sales and less cult developments. I mean, I understand the drop in DVD sales. Do you think this is going to be a – that films are going to lose a cult following because of streaming? No, I, I don't – I mean, uh, I think probably, if anything, it will probably increase because if it's available for streaming, maybe more people will be more likely to – if it's if it's available on their fingertips, they may be more likely to check it out. Yeah, where they wouldn't buy, they wouldn't risk the money on a uh, they, they, DVD. They might risk it on. Hey, if I already pay twenty bucks a month for Netflix, uh, right. or whatever I pay for Amazon, um, I'm, you know, well, maybe I'll check this out. Yeah, Kevin, thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Miles there. I uh, I think the advent of streaming certainly for me. Has, has allowed me to recommend shows to some people who wouldn't even want to take the effort to put something in their Netflix queue for a DVD, even though it's, it's no additional cost, but would be willing to say, oh, okay, I got a few minutes. I'll put, you know, I'll press two or three buttons. I'll at least give a film a try or a TV show a try. So I, I'm not sure I really kind of follow that. I think cult tends to be people who find an interest that you can share with others. So whether it's streaming or DVD or midnight showing, you know, if you're open to that, you're gonna you're gonna find it. I'm gonna tell you just a little side note here is I can't tell you how many times people, our listeners, have you know begun to touch on Charlie Charlie Jade. Right? Mm-hmm. We did that our first rewind, one of the first rewinds we tackled, and you know, God help us, it was a uh, kind of a brutal one to tackle first. But we did Charlie Jade, right? Uh, and we have numerous listeners, even Cape Cod Scott. I know you were dialoguing with uh, Kevin about him, and you actually helped them watch it. And now it's available for streaming on Netflix. You know, a whole new world. And Hulu had it streaming first. I know one of our listeners, you know, J.P. Harvey, was listening to his streaming and that uh, was streaming it from Hulu and watching it. And so the the fact that it kind of opens up audiences to kind of check the stuff out that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, the one the one thing, even if the Charlie Jade series isn't something. You know, you you like as a viewer because, as we said, it's not a series for everyone. The thing that is wonderful in that case is there's never been a U.S. DVD release of that show. So there's there's no one here, almost no one here in the states had a shot at it. That's why it's very cool that it's streaming. In that case, that's where I hope Hulu and Netflix open up a lot more avenues for some shows that, because of rights issues, can't cross boundaries in physical form like DVD. But streaming, whole new world. Do you, do you know one that, and this is non-sci-fi and, and off-topic, plays into what you're talking about. One of the shows that really bothers me right now is The Mentalist. Because The Mentalist, you can watch it in TV, but they don't. CBS doesn't stream it from their site. Mm-hmm. I think it's a CBS show. Uh, doesn't stream it from their site. Hulu doesn't stream it. Um, you can't buy it on iTunes unless you're in Canada. Oh, wow. um, and this has, to, and I'm not sure what sort of rights issue they have going on in here. 
But it's one of the only shows I know that I can't access somewhere on the web without looking for ways to do it that are less than uh, appropriate. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure there's reasons for it that I just don't know. Sounds kind of bullshit yeah, to me. Yeah. Um, you know, he makes a comment as well, bringing it back to equilibrium. He said, I do think that in certain sections they copied too much from other films. Uh, what, Miles, what do you think of this? Copy may be too strong a word. Maybe borrow would be better. <laughs> well, because I mean, it's semantics, just semantics. Miles. Yeah, it's just <laughs> tomato, tomato, whatever. You yeah, know, copied, it's, borrow, it's stole. Lawyer, look at the good lawyer speak there, Miles. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I mean, how many uh, coming up with something new and original? these days isn't always easy and and 1984 still resonates with people so you know the idea of you know um maybe doing that in a different way um and you know is is it guilty of not being totally original yeah i would you know i would agree with colin that um but i think a lot of movies borrow things I, i mean yeah. Heck, even the movie Avatar. Um, some people called it um, "Dances you know, with Wolves in Space." Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, yep. uh, yeah. I think it borrowed from the Smurfs, but that's my own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so I, m- most movies these days borrow a so, little something from here and there. I think. Yeah. Kevin, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, for folks like us who have seen practically every sci-fi movie out there, it's a it's virtually impossible for anything to be original. I mean, it's it's whether or not what they're doing is true to that story, then I'm okay with it. If, right. if it's a blatant uh, way of drawing an audience or, or just doing a cool thing for the sake of coolness, then yeah, I'll have a problem with it. Otherwise, I'm pretty good at putting my blinders on and just assuming that each of these properties is in its own universe. So I don't, I don't worry about that myself yeah. very often. Well, you know, and I think the one thing I wanted to say is that, okay, so – they stole, ripped off, borrowed, whatever you said, Miles, whatever you care about the language of it. <laughs> but they, they they used it in a way that blended into the storyline. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like it belonged there. And I believed it. And even when I said, oh, well, that's Matrix, that's Night to four, that's, you know, whatever you want to say, whatever reference you want to say, right. you know, the, the, the men in black army suits walking into the, you know, the music's re- reminiscent of this. It worked for me. Mm-hmm. Overall, it works for me. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's probably the biggest thing. So, certainly agree that they did copy. Didn't necessarily bother me right. in the long run. But, well, we got some other listener feedback, and this came probably via our Facebook fan page. And Kat just said this: "Equilibrium was a surprise to me. I saw it on a rental whim, not knowing what it was, and it's become one of my favorite sci-fi films." So, thanks, Kat, for writing that. Uh, she enjoyed it. Um, she couldn't believe it was 10 years <laughs> that since it's been out over 10 years or almost 10 years. It will be in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe said it's definitely different than how it was marketed following in the footsteps of the Matrix if you believe the original poster. But otherwise, good sci-fi romp. And Anthony Dick said, I saw it in the video store, laughed at the cover and pointed to my friend. Haha, what a Matrix ripoff. But it was actually pretty good years later when I watched it. When we release the Rewind podcast, I will watch it in prep. And uh, – I don't know if I ever responded to that, but hey, <laughs> but thanks uh, for the comments on that. And did any, you, Kevin, did you get any comments from your end on your side? No, just from a few general ones of folks uh, uh, saying kind of it's like came across there, like oh, I haven't thought about that one, and you guys, I'll have to give it a view before I yeah. listen to the podcast. So 
you know, sometimes this, that's all we need. We've all got a list of movies we want to rewatch. Sometimes we just need to be pushed a little bit to, to hear like, oh, okay, they're going to talk about it. I might as well watch it again. You know, this is one of the movies that was like um, – Oh, what was the last movie we rewound? I just forgot. Well, Enemy Mind. Uh, Enemy Mind. This is a movie that's kind of like Enemy Mind for me. It's kind of under the radar for a lot of people, and yet there's a lot of value in the movie itself. Oh, so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I believe that's about it. Any other comments on any of this stuff? Any, any more last, last parting comments to Equilibrium as we go on? I liked some, some of the artistic choices um, when uh, – Christian Bale's character was listening to the music. He was listening to an old style record player. Right. I mean, now he wasn't listening to a CD or tape or e- even MP3 iPod. It was, you know, an old, old record player. He was listening to this music on it. It was just an interesting artistic choice. Yeah. In yeah. a way, it makes sense because that becomes an iconic choice. And if you use too much current medium, it dates itself real fast. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, any uh, last thoughts for you, Kevin? Uh, no, I'm just I'm glad uh, the listeners uh, saw fit to put this one high on the list of uh, ones we should do because I, I like I say I hadn't been back to it in many years, so I'm glad we did a revisit on it. Yeah, very good rewatch. Well, before we go, just a reminder: we are doing Aliens with an S, uh, number two, the one that came out. Kevin, you said in 1986. 1986. I still remember the day I saw it in the theater. Oh, those were good old days. Back when movies were a buck and a half to go see. Maybe not quite that cheap. But Maybe on a matinee. Yeah, a matinee or the dollar theater. But Well, thank you guys. Thank, thank you guys, each one of you, for joining us tonight. And um, thank you, our listeners, for tagging along as we've kind of dialogued about this. And we appreciate your thoughts. And please... Feel free to send in your feedback and your thoughts about aliens, and you can do so to the sci-fi rewind at gmail.com, or you can, of course, uh, email Kevin. Kevin, what's a site that they can find all the digits about you and your podcasting greatness? Yep, all of our forum links, Facebook links, voicemail numbers, everything is over at tuningintosci-fi-tv.com. Yes, and you guys just finished your theme countdown. Yeah, we had some fun. The top themes based on votes from the listeners. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, so top genre themes of all time. I'm going to be honest, they're all queued up for me and I haven't had a chance to listen listen to them at all. I'm going to be honest, and they're there, and I'm definitely going to be listening to them. I just haven't done so yet. Yeah, uh, no, I think we got a few of your comments in there too, don't we, yeah. Scott? No, I, I called in and jabbered for a little bit, so if he stuck them in there, great. <laughs> so, so, uh, and mildly, of course, you can find us on our Facebook fan page, yes. where we kind of always live and discuss and talk. It's kind of chaotic at times, but it's, fun. it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of good discussion going there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can, of course, find out a lot more about us at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.com. I believe that's about it. Uh, uh, we will see you later. Okay. Till next time, good night and good luck. 